Hey, hey, Prime members, talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. September 11th, 2001. You will remember this day as long as you live. A series of coordinated terror strikes today at this country, its people, our freedom. Strikes that came without warning. Four U.S. commercial jetliners were hijacked. Two crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City and sent the giant twin towers filled with workers crumbling to the ground. A third hijacked airliner slammed into the seat of American military power, the Pentagon. The fourth hijacked airliner, target unknown, but possibly a target intended in or near Washington, went down in southwestern Pennsylvania. On September 11, 2001, I was in a carpool line in Houston waiting to drop off my daughter Jennifer at preschool. I'm Janet Shamlian, CBS News correspondent. I heard about the first plane crashing into the World Trade Center on the radio. Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the World Trade Center. We noticed flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers of the World Trade Center. We are just coming up on uh, this scene. This is easily three quarters of the way up. We are, uh, this has, whatever has occurred has just occurred uh, within uh, within minutes, and uh, we are trying to determine exactly what that is, but currently we have a lot of smoke at the top of the towers of the World Trade Center. We they said an early report had come in, but there was very little information. I was just frozen in the front seat of the car. My daughter, Jennifer, strapped into her car seat in the back. And when the doors to her preschool opened, I just walked her into class. I drove home and I turned on the television. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Bryant Gumbel. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a... I was living in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. I saw the planes crash in real time as I watched the news that morning. I'm Nicole Killian, CBS News congressional correspondent. On September 11th, I worked as an assignment editor for NBC News. I was actually off on 9-11, but I saw the plane go into the World Trade Center. You have no idea right now. Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. (gasps) Right. Oh, Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building, flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the East Tower. Yes. 
Yes. And I immediately well, I called my supervisors to see where they needed me. They told me to just go, go, go. And that's exactly what I did all the way to the scene. I'm David Martin, and on 9-11, I was doing the same thing I'm doing now, which is covering the Pentagon for CBS News. I was crossing Memorial Bridge over the Potomac when I saw a pillar of smoke rising from the Pentagon, and within two minutes, I had parked my car and started running toward the side of the building which had been hit. I rounded a corner of the building and saw the destruction for the first time. People littered across the grass, vehicles on fire, and this great burning hole in the building. I was able to get a cell phone call out and kept the line open to New York while I walked about looking for evidence of what had happened. I'd been a reporter for 20 years by this time, but I'd never been on the scene of a disaster that was still unfolding. So I was acutely conscious of making a rookie mistake when I knew the whole world would be watching. Everybody assumed a plane had hit the building, but I was determined not to say that on the air until I found either an eyewitness or a piece of wreckage. And I found the wreckage first, literally by tripping over a piece of fuselage with American Airlines markings. The next thing I reported was that the portion of the building struck by the plane was collapsing, and I did not see how anyone still inside could make it out. I was telling that to Dan Rather on the air when he cut me off, because at that moment, one of the towers in New York was collapsing. Washington, we now go to David Martin by telephone. David Martin, our Pentagon correspondent, is on the grounds of the Pentagon, is my understanding. David? Dan, I've been standing about uh, 50 yards away from the west side of the Pentagon, which is uh, where this explosion occurred. Uh, portions of that uh, part of the building have now collapsed. There are uh, perhaps a dozen fire trucks on the scene trying to fight the fire, and they are rigging uh, the grounds around the uh, Pentagon for handling uh, mass casualties. I have uh, only so far seen about uh, perhaps uh, 10 or 12 people who were injured, some of them seriously enough to require... Oh, we're going to interrupt you, David Martin, and come back here to New York because the second tower in the World Trade Center is teetering and looks like it may uh, it be in the process of collapsing. The second World Trade Center tower... What I vividly remember from that day is the white powdery ash that covered the streets for blocks. At one point, my crew and I were using our shirts to cover our faces from the debris. Eventually, we found someone who had a mask with a respirator, so we were able to use that for the rest of the day in order to breathe there. The smell, the acrid smell of burning jet fuel, I smell it every time I think about that day. The charred steel debris, incinerated remains. It hovered over lower Manhattan for weeks, and for me, it never really goes away. There are a few images, actually, that are imprinted in my mind that I don't think I'll ever be able to shake. It was video of a man who was standing in the street, just a, what looked like a couple of blocks away from the towers. It was right as the first tower was collapsing and he was covered in that white soot and dust and debris and the tower was collapsing and a sea of people were running away from the tower but he was just standing still facing the towers, looking up 
as people were running by him. And he was just frozen, staring, watching the tower collapse. And I just remember thinking, like, he he's probably scared. He probably wants to run. But he probably also can't take his eyes off of it, off of the tower collapsing, off of this horrific sight. And he just looked as if he was frozen with horror, almost as if he didn't know what to do. I'm Mola Lenghi, CBS News correspondent. On September 11, 2001, I was in school. I was a senior at George C. Marshall High School in Falls Church, Virginia, just a few miles outside of Washington, D.C. I was in school, in between classes, walking from first period to second period. I was walking down a hallway and passed by a classroom with the door open. TV was on and there was about a dozen students in the classroom watching this TV, huddled around this TV. That in and of itself was not common for the middle of the school day, people to be watching TV. So I just kind of pop my head in and get a glimpse of what's on the TV and it's smoke billowing out of these buildings. And before I realize what I'm looking at, I just sort of ask anyone who's listening, what's happening? And a young female student without breaking her her stare at the television says planes crashed into the twin towers and i remember i remember hearing the s in planes more than i heard anything else in her response planes crashed into the twin towers and i thought she misspoke and I said to her, planes? Two of them? And she didn't answer. She just nodded her head. But never stopped looking at the TV. And I looked around the classroom and everyone was just deadlocked on the television. And it took me about 10, 15 seconds to process what she said, what I was looking at. That's when I realized that one plane into a building as horrific and tragic as it might have been could have been an accident but two planes that was something else i'm michelle miller co-host of cbs saturday morning i didn't live in new york city at the time i, I lived in new orleans i was finishing up or had just finished my morning newscast uh sitting down to uh prep for uh the rest of the day and we were watching the news. Once we saw that first picture of the tower burning, I, I just, I, I, I didn't know what to think. And my immediate reaction was to call my husband, who happened to be meeting uh, at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., across from the White House. I, I, I think I was, I was about whoo, five months pregnant, four months pregnant at the time with my son Mason and thinking, my goodness, this is horrible. Um, I was in the field 
when word came down that the Tower 2 um, had come crashing down. And I had not, I had no idea what that looked like. I mean, I, I thought, I never thought it would implode upon itself. My first inclination was that it fell over into the city. And the thought of that just terrified me because it was a horrible uh, scene played out in my imagination because I wasn't able to get to, you know, any any television uh, as I was in the field with my own camera and my photographer. And there were no cell phones back then that captured images the way that we see them now. There was no Twitter or Facebook that we are so used to using and uh, sending information through. So I, I, I recall my husband calling me like about this time explaining to me what had happened to him and at that point in time he described what was going on and that he was okay that everyone had run out into the middle of the street he was in fact you know walking on the streets in Washington and trying to figure out the game plan when we heard about United Flight 93 say Dateline Pittsburgh Large plane crashes are reported in western Pennsylvania. The source of this are officials at Somerset County Airport. Uh, no further details. I wonder first, you know, not knowing why it went down, we, we didn't learn until, oh, I can't even imagine, days later or hours later, how those incredibly brave people uh, risk their own lives and 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 in an attempt to take over the plane from the hijackers, but I thought of like where that flight might have been headed, and it was likely headed to where my husband had been, and my thoughts were immediately that these people had saved the life of my child's father and so many others. I think it's one of those things that when 9-11 happened and I'm in college, I don't think I realized what an imprint it would have on me for the rest of my life. And it's like grief of anything. I think, you know, every year when it comes up, and I think, you know, ending the war in Afghanistan now, you're reminded of just how much change has happened in these 20 years and how little uh, has changed in these 20 years. I'm Jamie Yukas, a CBS national correspondent based in Los Angeles. I'll never forget that morning because I did hear about the planes crashing into the World Trade Center from one of the five girls I was living with in a house in Dinkytown, Minnesota, on the campus of the University of Minnesota. One of the five girls I lived with ran in and said, I can't tell if it's a joke or not. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, on the radio, are you listening to the TV or the radio? And I said, I'm not. I'm doing Tai Bo. And she said, well, you should turn it off. I think something's happened in New York at the World Trade Center. We sat down. We started listening to the radio uh, where they were talking about a plane that had hit one of the Twin Towers. I then turned on the television. and I remember we just kept switching back and forth. We were supposed to go to class. Many of us started debating. Should we go to class? Should we not go to class? I was just about to leave the house uh, when I heard about the plane crashing into the Pentagon. And that's when it was determined that classes would be canceled. 
Uh, once I called home, I realized that my mother was on the East Coast. Uh, she was at General Electric, which was a customer of hers at the time, and they were in lockdown because she worked in uh, transportation, military, and aerospace. Um, I couldn't get a hold of my mom. I remember wondering when I would get a hold of my mom. Um, I remember being scared. I remember not knowing what to tell my younger brother. And I remember just being consumed by watching the coverage of what was happening that day and, and remembering the confusion um, of the broadcasters and how they were trying to make sense of so much in such a short period of time. My mom was one of the people in this country who, because she was stranded, did have a rental car piled in with three other people once it was safe and started driving across the country. And I just won't forget the first time seeing my mom after she was able to drive back uh, from the Northeast and just being so grateful that she was okay. The image or sound still imprinted in my mind from that day is just the people you saw falling from the buildings. I don't know if you watch that live, if you'll ever get that out of your mind. I can't imagine being a journalist now and witnessing that or being in New York City and witnessing that. Um, I remember panic. I remember fear. I remember at one point people racing to the gas station to try to fill up their gas tanks, even in the middle of the country. People worried that uh, because of what could transpire in the Middle East that we wouldn't get any gasoline. Uh, I remember one of my roommates coming home with tons of water, uh, worried that you know there could be a run on supplies. The images of that day and the next few days are still so vivid for me. Beyond the scenes from New York, here in Houston, the downtown skyscrapers emptying as companies sent their workers home, the vacant airport as travel shut down, the American flags people put on their cars. I think my eyes were red for a week. And yet I was still a mom of four young children at the time, and I had to attend to their needs. My oldest child, Max, turned six the next day, September 12th. He didn't know any better, and of course, we celebrated his birthday. But no one felt like celebrating anything. What I also remember from the days and the weeks after 9-11 is the complex range of emotions and thoughts and feelings from fear to confusion to anger to uncertainty. I remember feeling it myself and I remember having a sense of of collective anxiety, collective uncertainty, collective fear, collective anger among all people, among all Americans across the country. And somehow all of that, you know, the thing that really stood out was that somehow all of those thoughts and feelings and emotions somehow translated to this deep sense of unity in a way that I had never felt before that and I've never felt since that. That, it may sound cliche to say, but that was as united as this country's ever been in my lifetime. On September 11th, 2001, I was living in China. 
I was a Peace Corps volunteer and living in southwest China in the province of Sichuan. It was um, maybe about 9 o'clock p.m. or so. I was reloading Yahoo, the Yahoo News webpage, uh, right before I went to bed just to see if there were any uh, final headlines. And at the top of the news box, it said, Plane Hits World Trade Center. And I was really confused. To me, it just didn't make sense. And so I clicked in. And you know how there's a, a fresh news story that there's actually no information on? It was basically the headline again. And then below it said, uh, an airplane has struck the World Trade Center. Something like more news to follow. So I didn't have very much information at the time. And in China, it's uh, really difficult to get outside information. And this was 20 years ago. Um, so I was scouring the internet for more info, but Yahoo News was the only website that was working. I then went to my television. My TV actually didn't get international television. It only got uh, Chinese state-run media, um, and they weren't carrying anything because the news had obvi obviously just broken. But I remember that there was this one station, um, I found out later to be Phoenix Television, that was broadcasting out of Hong Kong, and they were actually broadcasting, reporting live what was happening from New York. And I remember the images on TV, they weren't clear at all. It was really super grainy. It was basically like snow, white, black, um, gray. And then every now and then it would clear up for a second and I would get an image of New York and of the towers still standing. And one clearly was smoking. The other one was still standing and untouched, I remember, at that time. I'm Ramey Innocencio, CBS News Asia Correspondent. I was recently out of college. I was 22 years old at the time or so. And the idea that people, terrorists, uh, hijacked a plane, not just one, but two planes, and crashed them into the World Trade Center with intent uh, was something that shattered the innocence of my youth, maybe the innocence of many of us in America, and uh, it clearly forever changed my perspective on how, on how some people in the world viewed the United States. And I was messaging some old college friends uh, who were back in Virginia on AOL IM. At the time, that's what most, if not all of us, were using. And I was trying to get information from them. And then they started feeding information to me about what had happened in New York, and also at the Pentagon, and also in Pennsylvania. And one, one short phrase that stuck on the screen with me that I think every year comes back to mind. Uh, my, old my, my old friend, she had written... Oh my God, Rainy, it's so horrible. And even saying that out loud, I think I've never said that out loud before. Um, it gives me goosebumps just to think that. And even now thinking of those words gives me goosebumps. Um, because I think at that time we just didn't know how to explain what was happening. Horrible, terrible, confused, 
angry, upset, scared for sure. One thing I will always remember in the days after is the the reaction from my students. Since I was teaching Chinese students in the countryside with the Peace Corps, I remember that there was a lot of outpouring of condolence of my students saying, "I'm sorry that this happened to your country,"、uh, and I felt very appreciative of that. What I remember most from that day and the days after was that long walk to and from Ground Zero. Almost all of Lower Manhattan was shut down. I also think of the photos of the missing that were plastered everywhere as loved ones desperately sought clues for the fate of their family and friends. One of my college friends, her brother was working in the World Trade Center towers, and I remember the callouts. Um, among our friends through email,、um, the pleas saying, "If you've seen my brother, if you've seen her brother,、uh, to let her know." And the hours turned into days, turned into weeks, and、um, eventually, the search, of course, was given up. But every year on Facebook,、um, my friend posts. Uh, a memory of her brother, and、uh, we'll never forget. Never forget means just that. Never forget. Never forget the people who were on those planes who had no idea what was coming that day. Never forget the people who jumped out of their office windows because they may have had no way out. Never forget the first responders who toiled endlessly day after day, painstakingly going through the pile at Ground Zero and the Pentagon and the field in Shanksville. To me, never forget means to always. Remember and honor the people who ran towards the danger that day. As the towers were on fire and crumbling and collapsing, as people were running away from the danger, there were some people who ran towards it and sacrificed their own well-being, sacrificed their lives. In the service of strangers, of course, never forget means remembering those who died while trying to help. But it also means remembering those who survived. People who are still living with the mental and physical and emotional wounds they suffered that day. People who have to live with the. Memory of their fallen brothers and sisters, people who have to live with the memory of the horrors that they witnessed that day, people who have to live with the memory of the people they couldn't save that day, people who have to live with the the physical scars. There are people who are still dying from the effects of Ground Zero. The dust that they were breathing in in the days and weeks and months at Ground Zero as they searched through the rubble, people are dying of cancer. Firefighters are still suffering from ailments suffered in the aftermath of 
we're not supposed to forget those people. I remember never forget coming up in so many advertisements and commercials and the NFL football game that came up uh, pretty quickly after 9-11 and just how it brought people together. Um, I miss that. I miss the camaraderie we had in this country and how we all did want the same things and we realized what was important and we loved each other and we talked about loving each other and talked about the importance of saying goodbye to our loved ones when they went to leave the house in the morning because you didn't know when they were going to come home. Um, that to me is never forget. I, I think I'm to this day, I'm really bad at saying goodbye, whether it's on the phone or in person. Um, people have teased me about it and I really do think that there's some deep-seated uh, psychological root in 9-11 that I remember hearing over and over and over again how these families had gotten up, it was a normal day, they went to work, they went to school, and their lives changed forever. Um, so never forget to me means always making sure you tell the people you love how much you love them and how much you care about them and that you, you want to make sure they know that if you don't see them at the end of the day. So I think it's important to live our life to the fullest, to laugh and to laugh hard, to work and to work hard, and to say, I love you, just in case. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast. I'm here with my producer, Becca. Becca, what can people expect on the podcast? The extended moments, for sure. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. I use the internet. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.